Mark chapter number 8 is where we're going to jump off from. Once we kind of get things settled in, we're not going to stay there too very long. But uh, Mark chapter number 8, and tell you, well, well, I'll tell you some of the background is leading up to this uh, this this sermon when we once we get started. Mark chapter 8, very uh, probably very familiar story. This is something that happened a couple of times in the ministry of Christ. Uh, but uh, just I'm going to take one little phrase from here to kind of set the theme. But Mark chapter number 8, verse number 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, unto the, unto him, saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from afar. And his disciples answered, answered him, and here we go, from, from whence can a man satisfy, that's satisfy, that's going to be our theme, these men with bread here in the wilderness. And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thank to, uh, and break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed, and he commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. Yesterday, we were riding in the car, I had Jenna Bug with me, and uh, listening to some old music, oldies and stuff, you know. Before my time, it's real oldies. <laughs> Just having fun in the car. And um song came up. I was playing some songs off my phone. And song came on. Uh, y'all might remember that the, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And I told her, I said, hey, this is a famous song. I said, the, the, this was the Coca-Cola commercial. And she said, well, I've never seen that. So I pulled it up on YouTube and showed it to her. And uh, so she's enlightened now. on the. And I showed her the Mean Joe Green commercial, too. It's before my time, too. But I, I showed those to her. And uh, anyway, I, I ended up feeling nostalgic. And uh, so I got on YouTube. And I looked up old DFW area TV commercials, you know, from like the 80s and 90s old. You know, stuff I remember. Y'all, y'all go back a little further than that. But... It's amazing how those things stick with you. And by the way, they spend millions of dollars to make sure that they do stick with you. But here's a few I, I, I saw or I thought about. I was watching some different things online. And how about this one? Can you see if you can complete these? This brand stands for savings. David McDavid. Okay. How about this one? Call R.A. Gabriel. The lawyer that sends flowers. That one's obscure, okay? How about this one? We put it all together and save you more at the room store. Thank you, somebody, finally. Call 267-8433 because the next best thing to do is Dalworth Clean. Okay. How about this one? You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Don't remember the old men's warehouse commercials? George Zimmer comes on there, and you're going to like the, you know, that deep, rambly voice. I can't do it. My voice is still not quite there, but hey, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. 
It's classic advertising. Shop with us and you'll be satisfied with your purchase. George Zimmer, he, he come on those commercials and talk about you just wouldn't look good. You just wouldn't be happy with your purchase if you went anywhere else to buy a suit. You need to go to the men's warehouse. Quality, service, top brands, he personally guaranteed it. Satisfaction guaranteed. Why was that such a powerful marketing slogan? Because you made you believe it was true that if you didn't go to the men's warehouse, if you went to J.C. Penney or Dillard's or anywhere else and you bought yourself a, a, a suit, you wouldn't be happy with it. It wouldn't fit right. You'd be charged too much. That was what they wanted you to think with that advertising. In our text is familiar story. There's throngs of people uh, following Christ. He's ministering to their spiritual needs and he's also concerned about their physical needs. How could you possibly feed so many people when you're out there and there's no market, there's no restaurants? Where do you get all that food to, 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 to satisfy these people? And that question there in verse 4, And whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? They have seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And I know you're saying, well, wait a minute, isn't it five little loaves and two little fishes and all that kind of stuff? Uh, that, that's a different story. This happens twice. He feeds the multitude twice, two separate occasions. The details are different. So uh, some, I've heard some people say, oh, we did it once and they messed up. No, it happened twice. The details are different in these. Um, Christ blesses the loaves, the fish. The disciples pass them out. What might have been a good midnight snack for some of us, satisfied 4,000 people present with oodles left over. I like that word, oodles. They were hungry, yet now they were full. They were satisfied through the abundant care of our Savior. Every human being has desires and needs that they strive to satisfy. We get hungry and we satisfy that need, like in our, our text verse. But you know what the problem is? We get hungry again. About 10 minutes. We want more. <laughs> we're, we're hungry. We want friends. Oh, about this, but we want friends. We want companionship. But you get friends and you get lonely again at some point. People move off or you can't get in touch with somebody. These, these needs that we have that we try to satisfy, we can never fully satisfy. It's the story of human existence, cycles of want and satisfaction. We seek lasting satisfaction, but that's rarely attained. But here's the thing, man cannot satisfy all of their desires and needs, but God can satisfy. Only He can truly satisfy. George Zimmer can guarantee it or wherever else you want to go. Satisfaction guaranteed. There's only one place satisfaction is guaranteed and that is through God. I've got four things I want to look at this morning. Four things that satisfy from the Scriptures. The first off I want to say is that the blood of Christ satisfies. The blood of Christ satisfies. I use this verse often. It's one of my favorites. Isaiah 53 and 
so many wonderful things in Isaiah 53 to, to talk about the picture of the coming Messiah who would give his life for our sins. But in the middle of this portrait, there's this one little phrase, and, and starting verse 10, then verse 11, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, talking about Christ. He, had, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That Christ would be the sacrifice for our sins. That God would be pleased in it. By the way, hinting at the resurrection past that. Verse 11. He shall, God, shall see the travail of his, that's Christ's soul. He's going to look down, see what Christ did on the cross. And I love that next phrase. And shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my servant, righteous servant, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. God saw the work of Christ and said, I am satisfied. The demands of the law are met. His sinless life was enough. His suffering was enough. His death was enough. God saw the cross and the sin debt of mankind and said the cross covers it all. By the way, I don't think it was just enough. You ever been in the drive-thru and uh, you're digging for the extra 50 cents that you need in your car and you're hoping you find it by the time you get up to the window to pay? Been there often <laughs> in life. So, miss those days. Now that you got cards, you don't even think about that. But back in the old days, you're just scrounging up like, oh, if I could just find another nickel uh, before I get to that window. Listen, the blood of Christ didn't just meet the needs. I think it surpassed the needs exponentially, infinitely. There's an old quartet song. I didn't even know who sang it. I looked it up it's, or who wrote it. Stuart Hamblin wrote it. And honestly, it's a beautiful song called He Bought My Soul at Calvary. It's a beautiful, beautiful old song. But there's there's the part of the chorus, I'm just, it bugs me a little bit says, each drop of blood brought me a million years. A soul was born each time he shed a tear. Well, that puts a limit on the power of the blood. It says that there's just so long that was bought. It's like God would have to look at some somebody, you know, you've got somebody who says, oh God, I'm a sinner. God, please save me. God says, oh, well, hey, I hate to tell you this, but... Uh, that blood only covered so many souls, and uh, boy, you're, you're just too late. You missed out on the offer. No, the offer is good for all mankind, for all who will come. Can you imagine being up in heaven and uh, getting a knock on your mansion door one day, and it's angels, and they say, Oh, sorry, um, I hate to do this, but we got to kick you out. See, the blood of Christ only bought you 10 million years and um, beyond that, we're sorry. No, the blood of Christ covers it all forever and ever and ever. There is no limit to it. It is infinite in its application, infinite in its power. I'm so glad God doesn't change His mind and decides He needs something more. He doesn't because he says it's satisfied. It's paid in full. He's satisfied with the blood. Second, I want to say, and kind of building off of that, I want to say that the gospel satisfies. The gospel satisfies. 
John chapter 4 is the story of Jesus uh, in, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman. She's come out uh, to the well to, to draw water in the middle of the day. And the, think about a thankless, unending chore. We're spoiled. We just turn the little knob and the water comes on now. But can you imagine what we do nowadays if you had to go down and actually draw out the water for the washing machine and your bath and to wash clothes and then to brush your teeth? Some of y'all may remember a day or may have had to do some of that way back when. But it's, just, it's an endless, thankless chore. One way that he gets her attention is by using water as an object lesson. He tells her in verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water, the water from the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. That's being satisfied. That's being satisfied. She'll never thirst. The woman was searching for peace and contentment in her life, and she was looking in all the wrong places, in relationships and different things. She was trying to find something to satisfy herself. And then here is Christ, and He's got the answer. It's Himself. He is the answer. He would bear the penalty of her sins and bear ours also. He would die and rise again for her salvation and for ours also. He offered her pardon and peace if she would just have faith in Him. And He offers the same thing to us. So many today, though, are not simply satisfied that the Gospel is enough. Reminds me of Naaman in the Old Testament. Elisha said, hey, you want to get rid of that leprosy? Here's what you got to do. Jordan River over there. Go dunk yourself seven times in there, and God will heal you from your leprosy. What did he do? He says, you know, dunking in a river don't really bother me, but I don't want it to be that one. I'd rather go to a prettier river. I'd rather go to a cleaner river. I'd rather do this on my terms. By the way, if he had followed through on that, he wouldn't have been healed. Because God set the terms. God said, if you want to be healed, here's what you do. God, When God offers those terms, they must be accepted by complete faith. Naaman had no right to alter the offer, and we have no right to alter the offer of salvation that is given to us. Some today say, well, you need to straighten up. You need to clean up your life before you come to God because, oh, He... You know, he's not going to like you. He's not going to love you. He's not going to want to die for you unless you're good. You know, I find no record of that in the Scriptures whatsoever. Christ never said to the lame people who came to Him, you know what? I know you can't walk. I know that leg's messed up. Go get it fixed and then come back and I'll heal you. He never said that. How about the publicans and the sinners that He spent time with, he would, he would eat with, he would, he would uh, have relationships with. What about those guys? He didn't just go to them and say, you know what, if you will just turn over a new leaf and prove that you're worthy of my time, then we can be friends. The thief on the cross, he didn't have to wait till his debt to society was paid before Christ would accept him. No, the call rings out through the Scriptures, Come unto me. It says, come now. Come in your sin. Come in your unworthiness. And Christ says, we'll take care of that. 
but you need to come to me first. Some say, well, it's just too easy just to believe. There must be more to it. It's not wrong to do exactly what God says, though. What does God say? He says, thou shalt believe with thine heart, confess with thy mouth, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 13. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's what he asked for. We go to him on his terms. That's what he asked for. He said, trust, believe in me. We can't add to that. We have to be satisfied with that offer. Some today say, well, you need to take some classes. You need to learn a little bit about theology before you understand what you're doing. I thought about Peter as he got out of the boat, went walking out to Christ on the water. He set the human record, non-Christ division uh, for walking on water, by the way. And uh, as he's out there walking on water, what happened? He, he, he got his eyes off. He saw the storms. He began to sink in the water. You know, I'm glad he didn't have to take the time to go to a science class and figure out, you know, you're more dense than the water, and because you're more dense, you're gonna, and the gravity's gonna pull you down. And uh, here, go, go take this medical class. Here's what's gonna happen: is you go down in there, your body temperature is gonna drop, and your lungs are gonna fill with. He didn't have to know any of that. You know, all he had to do was just holler for help. All he had to do was say, "Lord, save me." Can I tell you, we're a lot like him. We're drowning in our sins. We cry to God for salvation. And what happens? He saves us. It's pretty simple when you think about it. Some say, well, once you have it, you have to make sure you keep it. Don't, you don't need to lose it. I'm good at losing things, but I'm glad it doesn't count on me or ourselves, us humans, one iota to either save myself or to keep our salvation. If it was up to me, I'd mess it up, and so would you. That's why we're in this whole sin predicament anyway, is because we fall short of the glory of God. But when I reach up to Christ for salvation and He reaches down for me, it's not my grip that counts. It is His. By the way, His grip will never tire, it will never falter, it will never fail. We're safe and secure in the almighty hand of God. The gospel is enough. Third thing I want to say is that God's grace satisfies. God's grace satisfies. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 of the thorn in the flesh. It's a huge frustration to him. There was nothing more than he wanted than to get rid of that. Whatever that was, I think maybe his eyesight, there's a lot of opinions on that, but he wanted rid of that problem. Don't we want rid of our problems too? I think we can all relate. But through his example, through his struggle, we get a glimpse of one of the greatest truths of the Christian life. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when he's dealing with this thorn in his flesh, here's what God tells him. It says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God says, my care, my love is all that you need. It's enough. It's sufficient. It satisfies the demands. 
Grace is that unmerited favor of God. He gives us a blessing and strength that we do not deserve. But sometimes we get greedy. We don't want our daily bread, like we pray for back in the Lord's Prayer. We don't want daily bread. We don't want to worry about tomorrow. We aren't satisfied with His grace just for today and day by day. He gives us our daily bread, and we complain that He doesn't give us the whole bread factory. We often, How often do we forget that He knows what we need? He knows so much more about what we need than what we do. We don't need a warehouse full of bread. We need to learn to trust God in the day by day. We don't need to get lazy and self-reliant. We need to learn like David did, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'll have everything I need. I can be satisfied in his care. We need to learn to be like Elijah when the drought was going. By the way, you think our drought's bad? Go back and read about that one. Is there down there and the, the creeks are drying up and he's down there on the brook Cherith? What happened? God gives them just enough. The ravens brought them food. And I, I personally think they stole off Ahab's table. I can't prove that, but I think they did. Uh, and then when he goes to the widow's house, uh, what do they do? There never was a 55-gallon barrel full of flour and, 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 and the cooking oil and stuff. But you know what? Every time they went over there, there was just enough. There was just enough. I thought about growing up. I was nostalgic. All those old commercials and things. And thought about growing up. And I remember when I was in elementary school and uh, going and, and, and taking lunch money with me. And nowadays it's fancy. You know, they just swap their card or whatever. You know, they've got all the systems and put the credit and all that kind of stuff on it. But I remember taking mine. I think it was like a dollar forty something like that. Some of y'all were like, "Whoa, that was expensive." <laughs> uh, but it was like a dollar forty, something like dollar thirty. But I remember going, and I'd get my dollar bill, and and uh, I'd go dig through Dad. Dad had a little cup with change on his little dresser, and I'd go dig through there and get my change, put in my pocket. And I was always careful to get my extra forty cents for ice cream. I see, I was smart. It was forty cents to get a uh, bluebell cookies and cream ice cream sandwich, and uh, I always got that too. You know. Being a little kid like that, and I mean, we're talking kindergarten, first grade, you know, second grade, uh, the, you know, being a little kid, I don't remember my mom ever giving me $20 and saying, here you go, here's your money for the week. If she had done that, I'd have went and bought Legos. I would have I lost the money. But I remember taking every day, I'd have my money, every day taking what I needed for that day. By the way, I remember in that time, I never doubted that I wouldn't have the money. All I had to do was go raid Dad's change drawer, uh, you know, jar, and I had plenty of money there. I did usually, you know, excited. I always had the ice cream money, so I made sure I had that. I think God's sufficient grace is a lot like that. We have what we need. It's there. We don't have to worry about it. His care, His provision is there. We may... We may have wished we have $1,000 in the bank, but sometimes all we need is the buck 40 plus the grace of the 40 cents for the ice cream every day. And that's how he cares for us. And the last thing I want us to look at is I want to say that God's word satisfies. God's word satisfies. 
this really, I, I, when I started out putting together this morning's sermon, this this a uh, little bit different direction, but this is really uh, kind of got, got me going uh, down this road. Something that really struck home with me as we were wrapping up uh, the our series of lessons in Sunday School on Revelation. Chapter 22, there's a couple of verses right there at the very end that also, they're kind of hard to interpret. And I mean, that says something for the book of Revelation when you say these are hard to interpret because there are a lot of sections in Revelation that I like to joke and say the correct answer is I don't know. When it happens, we'll see what <laughs> see what, what, what happens there. But Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God will add unto him the plagues that were written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And that's a verse a lot of people struggle with. You'll say, well, wait a minute, I thought we couldn't lose our salvation. But here it's talking about you know losing salvation, isn't it? I've heard it taught that way. But it's impossible. Once you're saved, it's impossible to lose that salvation. And and also, I kind of like, I don't know, I've never felt a really good understanding of these verses until studying it out just in the, the past few weeks. And this is, uh, I talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, but here's kind of where I think about these verses now. The book of Revelation closes what you call the canon, the, the words canon, C-A-N-O-N of Scripture. And this is the 66 books that we have. It, it closes out. It's the last one that was written about 90 A.D. It's a, the very last one written. And it closes out from Genesis to Revelation, closes out the fullness of what God said He wants us to know. By the way, you can't really argue with God on that. He's smarter than us. He's wiser than us. And when he said down through the century, down in eternity, he said, what do these humans need to know? And he said, this is what they need to know. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, this is what they need to know. And here in Revelation, as the canon of Scripture is closing, there's a warning not to add or subtract to God's Word. Specifically, it's talking about the book of Revelation, but I think it applies, even uh, extends greater to the entire Scripture. If you add or subtract to what God said is enough, you are rejecting God's authority and truth. God said that's what you need. And when we say, well, God, I want more. Or God, I don't think that should even be part of it. We're saying, God, we don't believe you. We don't trust you. Many do this today. They pick and choose scriptures. They, they like, reject others. Thomas Jefferson famously did this. Thomas Jefferson, yeah. Look up the Jefferson Bible. What he did basically was take the Bible, literally cut and paste portions of scriptures that he liked. He would take some of the moral teachings of Christ and say, oh, this is good about loving your neighbor, but oh, this part about a miracle, ah, yeah, somebody made that up. He basically made his own version of the Bible on his terms. By the way, that's completely backwards. We're not to adjust the Bible to fit our opinions. 
We are to adjust our opinions to fit the Bible. Did you catch that? We're not to adjust the Bible to fit our opinions, our notions, our ideas, our beliefs. We're supposed to adjust ourselves to the rule of Scripture. Who is the final authority? Is it us or God? It's God. God says, have faith in me. Be satisfied in what I am giving you. He inspired men of old to write the very words He wanted us to have. It's called inspiration. God inspired the Word. Not just, oh, you know, somebody inspired me to write a love song. This is deeper than that. I believe in verbal inspiration. That God gave the very words. He didn't just say, hey, Matthew, um, write a little something about the life of Christ and, uh, and it'll be good, just fine. You know, turn that in by the end of the night and we'll, I'll grade it, you know. Uh, he didn't say, hey, David, write, write a psalm about a shepherd. Yeah, that, that's good. That, that looks good, David. I believe God inspired the very words. God didn't just give the ideas or the thoughts or impression. I think the very words that God gave, He meant for us to have. I believe in plenary inspiration. And that the words themselves are fully inspired, that the Scripture is fully inspired, not ratios of inspiration, that this is more inspired or that's less inspired, but that it's all 100% the Word of God. And by the way, I believe in divine preservation. On top of that, I think it goes hand in hand. If you have inspiration, you need pres- uh, preservation. The div- God divinely kept those inspired words safe through the centuries. We shouldn't have to worry about what parts of Scripture are real and which parts are not. Our part should be satisfied with, thus saith the Lord. Psalm 19.9-10 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's the Word of God. It says it's greater, it's more, it's more rich, it's more valuable than a mountain of gold. Fill the universe with gold and God's words are still more uh, valuable than that. It says that they're sweet, they're enjoyable, they satisfy. Psalm 119.72 says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I'm so glad we can be satisfied with God's Word. And He gave it to us to satisfy our needs. He says, this is what you need to know. You don't need to know every angel's name. You don't need to know, you know exactly you know, the dimensions of this and that. He says, here's what you need to know. And we need to be satisfied with what God has given to us. We live in a very restless world. There's no true satisfaction that can be found outside of the Lord. The question I want us to ask each of us this morning, are we truly satisfied with Him? Are we truly satisfied with Him? Are we discontented with His care? Well, God, if only you would... 
God, I like I say, I'm sick of this daily bread stuff. Give me the Mrs. Baird's factory. I'd take the Mrs. Baird's factory. I think I could put them out of business, virtually. <laughs> or we discontent. We say, God, whatever you did is not enough. That's dangerous. That's dangerous thinking. You can catch yourself before you get there. God's in control. God loves us. God is all things working together for good. You need to trust in God's care. And I'll ask, are we searching for more than what He has given? Are you searching for more than what He has given? Some people are just not satisfied with things. They take the church. God gave us the church. The idea of the local assembly of believers meeting together and working together. And some people look at that and say, oh, I can do better. No, you can't. God. (laughs) God's the best engineer. God's the best planner that there is. God says this is how you reach the world through the church. We need to be careful not to say, God, I can do a better job than what you did. Or God, you know what? The Bible, ah, if I I could write something better. No, you can't. You can't write anything better than what God's given to us. But are we searching for more than what He has to give? Are we satisfied with Him? True peace comes when we are satisfied with God. True peace comes when we're satisfied and we say, God, thank you. God, you've been awful good to me. I know I don't have a mansion. I don't need one. God, I'm so thankful. My heart's still beating. I'm thankful for air conditioning. I'm thankful of my windshield wipers work this morning. It's nice. I, I hope I still have to turn those things on here pretty soon. Are we satisfied with Him? We, we get true peace when we completely surrender to Him and are satisfied with His blessings, with His care, with His guidance, with His truth. And if there is not satisfaction, the problem is undoubtedly with us. The problem is undoubtedly with us. Because God satisfies George Zimmer could only dream of satisfying like God can. He might make you happy with a suit, but then again, I guarantee you, they still have a returns department, I'm sure, at Men's Warehouse, because somebody wasn't happy. Somebody wasn't very thrilled with, with, with their purchase. But with God, how can we look at Him and say, Christ, I wish You'd love me more when He gave His self for us. That God... I wish you'd care for me a little bit more when he's given us everything. We need to be satisfied with him. His musicians come, most importantly, we need to be satisfied with salvation. We talked a little bit about that, about the gospel earlier. So many people, it's, it's, it's a stumbling block to so many people. I said, that's all? That's all? That's all I have to do? I don't have to join the church? I, I don't have to be baptized? I, we we want, honestly, there's a part of us we want to be like Hercules in the old Greek legends, where it's like, uh, okay, if you want to ascend to uh, Mount Olympus and be a god, you need to do these things. You need to go kill this big lion. You got I can't remember all the tasks that he had to do, but he'd do all these famous tasks and things. We there's a part of us we want it to be that way because it makes it about us. But salvation is being satisfied in the payment that Christ did and saying, God, I can't do it but I'm satisfied that Christ did it for me. God's satisfied with that payment. We need to be too. 
I hope that in the case that you know that free gift. And I would say, if not, in the words of Scripture, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Put it to the test. I guarantee you salvation will satisfy. I guarantee you that in Christ, in God, you can and will find satisfaction. I guarantee it. What number there, Ellen? 285 in the Baptist hymnal. If you want to sing along with the invitation song, if you'll stand, please. Number 285, if you want to sing along. Let's pray and we'll have a short time. The invitation to Heavenly Father, thank you for being here. And Lord, after being out last week, and uh, sure is good to be back among church family. Missing a few folks that are out sick, but well, it's so good to be here. Lord, I, I marvel at your caring us. I marvel that you love us so much. I don't know why you put up with us. Uh, Lord, all we tend to do is seem to gripe and not want to be satisfied or content with what you do for us. Lord, if only you would help to break our hearts, to open our eyes to see that we can be fully and completely satisfied in you and what you do for us and what you've done for us and where you're taking us and what you bring us through, that we can be completely, 100% satisfied. Lord, you are the answer to every question, to every, every ache and every emptiness that we have. Help us to be satisfied in your great care. Challenge us, I pray, at this simple message here this morning in our holy name. Amen.